All right. So our, our guest today is Daniel Meisler. Um, and thank you for being here. Um, it's one of those, one of those, I almost don't know how to introduce you because I've, I've actually been, um, a supporter on, on Patreon for you for quite a while or Patreon. Um, I, I, I don't know my sense and, and I hope, I hope you don't take this the wrong way. My sense is you're like a brother by another mother for me, because as I, as I read your stuff, um, you have an eclectic mix of interests that you aren't shy about and that you bring mm-hmm. together. Um, and it ranges across a broad range of subjects and you cover them without any, any holding back. Um, yeah. Monday, every, every Monday I wait for your unsupervised learning newsletter with glee because it's going to cover all the things that I'm interested in generally. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. No, absolutely. And it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I don't want to be like a fanboy, but it's one of those things where I'm like, I'm super interested in what you're genuinely interested in. Um, mm. and so it's very hard for me to, uh, to intro mm. you, uh, but we're going to dive into it. Um, and one of the reasons is because you have a, I'm going to infer this and you can now correct me, but you have a personal mission of following the threads deeply that you're interested in. And as they tie together or don't, you explore that and then you share it and you don't stop like a level or two deep. You try to cogently summarize it for people. So one I read recently was you talked about, I'm just going to just picking one, right? Um, I won't pick the most recent one. I think I messaged you about, but, but one a little while back, you talked about how there'd be an explosion of creativity due to generative language models, just mm-hmm. picking one. Um, good, bad, a whole bunch of stuff. You had like six points and, and I read through them and I said, this is interesting. Mm. Um, but it was, it was well thought through. And I had the sense that you'd been thinking about it for a while and it had built on other things you had said. And when you find that you're wrong, you correct it. And when yeah. you find, and so I, so I just want to put that out there and I know this journey started a while ago, like over 20 years ago. So yeah. I think the first thing I'm going to ask you right out of the gate is, did I do any justice to that? And if so, how did that begin? <clears throat> yeah. I, I mean, I think that's yeah. as good an attempt as any. Um, I'm not particularly good at summarizing the arc either. I mean, it really started as um, I've always been curious about things. Um, I've always loved learning things. And as soon as um, I, I got a website, I started explaining things to myself in my own words, just as a means of learning things. And that turned into basically a tutorial site. And I had I already had like a journal prior to that, starting in like 94. Um, so I took all my journal stuff and brought it over. And then, I mean, soon after that, that becomes what's called a blog, right? <laughs> so, yeah. um, so I basically started the site in 99. And at the time I was learning TCPIP and I was a firewall engineer and, uh, I would just document the things that I was learning. And then a lot of people will be like, oh, this is my favorite thing for learning the thing. And it's like, well, I guess that makes sense because it's how I taught myself. Right. And uh, yeah, I just launched into the whole website thing. And then um, I kind of went directly into security and I started security basically the same time that I started writing. And so there isn't an arc to what you're doing is, is another thing, right? So you, you do come to some conclusions at times, but I don't get the sense that there's either a narrative that you've imposed on things. It does feel like we're sort of coming along on your own exploration journey in some ways. Yeah. I think it's, it's really interesting to have that level of transparency in today's world of it. Cause you're, you're 
sharing a lot of your raw thoughts. Like it's not necessarily yeah. always a conclusion. It's this is what I'm thinking about. This is why I'm thinking about it this way. And I want to put that out there and see if other people agree, disagree. You're creating conversation over anything else. And a lot yeah. of across both technical industries, politics, the internet in general, there's so much more, uh, I, I guess, conformity. I'm going to say the thing I think I should say. Yeah. More than I'm going to say something that might be right, it might be wrong. I want to start the conversation. I want to have an intellectual debate. And that lack of intellectual debate on a lot of fronts and forms, especially on the main social media, Twitter, Reddit, et cetera, I think is uh, it's causing tr challenges both for us as an industry, but as a broader human society as well. Absolutely. Hey, I read your about this morning to refresh, and you referred to... I guess the mini site and and the works that spin off. I suppose the 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 blogs that you do and things is. I'm going to paraphrase because I'm not going to get it right. As as the most important work that you do, um, do you see it that way? Do you see it as as like a body of work? Um, because because um, I think I think you, I think you were sort of thinking about it as you you're. It's like an expression of of thoughts over time. Is what I took away from it that this is almost the growth of how you think about some subjects and that that itself has value. Yeah. <clears throat> I will probably rewrite that soon. Um, I, I feel like AI has changed my perspective mm. on so many things and I feel as like, it's just time for a refresh for that page. But no, the thing I said that I think is like one of the most important things or might be the most important project is the idea of capturing oneself. The idea of having a digital avatar like a yeah, you did use that phrase, which I really struck me. Yeah. yeah so <clears throat> one aspect is like, it's a second brain. Mm. So um, I can't remember half the things that I've learned and forgotten. Right. Right. Um, but if I go in a review in, in a structure that makes sense, I could be like, oh, that's how those forget to get, uh, you know, connect together. That's how those things um, relate to each other. Because I'm all about the interactions between these things. Yeah. Right. That, that's the thing that's most exciting to me is like, um, I think it was a, like a particle accelerator. Hmm. And I also don't take much credit for any of the ideas that I have because that's not how I see ideas. Hmm. Um, I, I see it more like a particle accelerator where you have like this, my, my brain is the thing that's stationary and we are shooting ideas at my brain, <clears throat> um, at high velocity. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, some of them stick in there and some like either way, it produces these massive explosions, right? Because what happens if I'm reading a thing about uh, baking clay or something, some random thing, and this person is going off on it and just loving talking about it, I'm vibing on their enthusiasm, but I'm mm -hmm. seeing this whole thing about crafting. So while they're talking about, oh, and I do this with my hand and I have to make sure it's not warm or soft, I have nine other ideas about mm -hmm. how this relates to some random security methodology I'm messing with or some random other thing. And I'm just like, oh, those are, those are kind of similar. And then I just see this map and then I go write a blog post about how these things are similar. Um, and the easiest way to tell that I'm not responsible for any of these ideas is I stop having ideas when I stop reading. <laughs> yeah. If but, I but stop is, reading amazing is, content, like I just, uh, I just like deaden. I, I, 
I'm always reading. And, and so yesterday I was giving a presentation in Chicago at a meetup and in the middle of the presentations, I was trying to find an analogy for, uh, for zero trust. I wound up talking about the dark forest and Enrico Fermi and, um, and mm. Drake. And I was like, the internet's a dark forest. Now that that's not my, I, I, I came up with none of the components for that. Right. But they right. collided in that moment as I was reaching. Yes. And it's that, uh, ages ago, Dawkins wrote a book, um, about where he came up with the term meme and it's come to mean stupid stuff on the internet, but, mem- but memetics for all that it was, that it was poorly, it has poorly progressed. There's a soup of ideas that, that sort mm-hmm. of combine and recombine. And mm-hmm. there's sort of, um, at least the, the, the genotype of it is, is constantly at high speed evolving in the human brain. It happens with bird song and birds. Um, and you're a nexus yep. for that. That's what's happening when you're reading and consuming <clears throat> and putting it back out. And so, so I totally relate to that. I mean, the notion of intellectual contamination and is it as the antithesis of IP. Right. Uh, yeah. Um, the net summary of something is greater than the original work sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And it relates a lot to um, like Ed Sheeran just went hmm. through some IP thing for uh, his oh, music. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Um, I forgot what the song was, but very old song, but he's just like, yeah, this is not the way music works. Music is constant copying. Like yeah. it's called a sample because it's a sample of something else. <laughs> but the one thing I hate is when I can't remember the source on something, I'm about to do it. I read that there were songs that were played by musicians a hundred years ago that are still floating around among the songs birds sing to each other that are being riffed on still now. That's and incredible. It, and it, really I got, I'm going to try and find the source for it. Maybe we'll put it in the links, but if that's true, how do we expect humans to like, yeah. I, I don't want to excuse <clears throat> copyright theft. And I'm certainly not about to do that with what's going on with generative language models, but, but this yeah. is, this is, this is not an easy subject. In fact, so, so back to what you were saying earlier about like this copy of your brain, Prior to the current wave of technology, I read a lot of science fiction, among other things. And I was thinking, you know, wow, one day somebody will be able to say, I want to speak to the avatar of me or somebody else out there. Mm-hmm. And my, my brother's also in cyber. So for fun, he asked one of the generative language models he used. He said, hey, write me an in- a blog about insiders and blah, 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 in the voice of my brother. Yep. And he did a startlingly good job. Yep. Like, and I was like, that's a heartbeat away. And, and you have more, you're more prolific in terms of what's out there. I wonder how far we are from having a Daniel Meisler like available avatar for people to invoke. Right. And, and, yeah. and what is that? Right. It, it's pretty easy. So I have one for myself. Um, and, and I'm kind of writing essays. Um, uh, uh, one or two of my recent ones were written by the AI that I wrote. So I wrote a, um, a generator. I, I can make a generator in almost like a Paul Graham sort of style. And then in my sort of style, which uh, mm-hmm. it just has different uh, breaks and headings. Um, mine has a summary with bullets. And then the final sentence matches the top sentence. So I've got a bunch of uh, rules in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, so you, and, you, you've told it what the sequence or the format yes, is for you. I taught as it opposed that, to inferring like that. Yeah. yeah, that's like two pages of prompt. And then I give it uh, one of my favorite essays of my own, and I say kind of like this. And so now what I do is I just go in and I, if I want to use this technique, if I'm curious if it's going to work or not, what I do is I just write uh, bullets. 
Mm. Um, so this last essay that I wrote was quite long. I ended up writing like three pages of bullets. Um, and it was just one line after another. It doesn't even need to be actually bulleted as long as there's space in between. Um, actually, you don't even need the space. That's just for us. But I just riffed for like 20 minutes. Copy. I actually have an Espanso um, <laughs> shortcut. So I just do copy. I go down and I do a semicolon DM. And about 10 seconds later, it'll pop right. out fully written in my voice. And that's and pretty cool. The semicolon and then the DM is, is Daniel Measler, right? But um, yeah. And does it meet your standard for quality and style? Uh, not, not really. Not quite. You didn't have to do a little editing on it. Actually, yeah. the, um, it does meet the standard. It doesn't feel quite as uh, personal. Mm-hmm. Um, the, like the language it picks feels more dry or is it feel less emotional? I don't know what it is. Something, something's getting a little bit taken away. So um, it's funny. I, I did this two or three times in the last uh, month. And um, I had the intention of, repl- of uh, doing the trick and having it rewrite the essay. Mm-hmm. And as I was writing, I was like, how is the bullets are better than the thing that it made. Um, so I just ended up just using um, the thing. So it turned out that I just wrote the essay. Nice. <clears throat> I thought I was saving myself time, but the bullets itself were the essay. The act the of summarizing it was, right. was tighter. Yeah. 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 You know, I, it's funny. Um, I see this as an extension of you. I don't see this as not you because I'm reminded years ago, um, I was talking to somebody about grief and when you lose someone, you don't just lose someone. When you have a deep relationship with someone, you sort of outsource parts of your life to them. And, and you sort of, you, like if you're married to someone, um, knowledge about what birthdays are or where a certain thing is or some yeah. functions. Mm-hmm. And so you then have, when you lose them, you also lose not just that, but every time that function comes up or that piece of knowledge, it hits you again. And that, that notion of outsourcing, I think we first started, we, we've done it many, many times, but the first time that I became aware of doing it with a non, <sighs> non-animated thing was Google, right? Where I realized, hey, 100%. You know, it's okay as long as I stay away from leaky abstraction. It's okay that I'm outsourcing some of point some pointers to knowledge to things like external knowledge sources. But I feel like this is now an expansion of your your capability. I think Scientific American years ago coined a term that didn't take off called um, Homo sapiens informaticus. I don't know if you ever heard that term. Hmm. It was the what is the human experience in a world that has these digital extensions of ourselves? Is how I at least how I remember it to the point that. It's not my idea. It was a bunch of other ideas. So I don't know what lawyers will one day say, but that strikes me as you finding ways to expand the thinking sphere of what DM is. That, that's absolutely the way I think about it. So I, I've written like 25 APIs now. Some of them are like turned into products or whatever, but most of them are like utilities. Um, and so I use it to proofread. I use it to write an essay. I use it to validate an incident. I use it to summarize articles. I use it for everything. So it just becomes like, I I feel like AI is like making us superhumans. Mm. Um, And the final form of this, of course, is 
um, when you have the question of like, what is the tallest tree? You will phrase that in a way that um, the the listening electrodes in the brain can actually catch it, and it'll send it to an LLM, and it'll just return it, and it'll feel like no different than when you send a question into the void of your own brain. Mm. Right, and, right. Because when you ask the question, what's the tallest tree, you're actually just like shouting it over a wall. Mm-hmm. And you don't know what's on the other side of your brain. Up. Your brain might yeah. be like, oh, it's Hyperion. It's in the Redwood Forest. Or it might be like, I don't know. Why don't you Google it? Like, leave me alone. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the more seamless that becomes, though, I, I mentioned leaky abstraction, right? Which is, which is, for me, the difference between being, well, leaky abstraction is every time you abstract something that you lose something and not understanding how something works below the hood. So once you understand it a little bit, then it's different, but you're talking about actually being a service to the brain. Um, but there's a difference between being informed about something and understanding something. What you're talking about is literally information retrieval, which is different, right? I but, am, but, but that blurs if it's something like, um, uh, I wonder what the pattern is between these things, mm. right? Because now there's less retrieval and more concepts. Right. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be very strange. I, I came up with a thing a long time ago, which I, I don't know if it will ever come into fashion, but Og and Nog, which I really liked um, because it's two syllables. So Og, it augmented, and Nog is non-augmented. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, so I, I took the, uh, the pen testing course, OSCP level 97 or whatever, and I got a 94. It's like, okay, yeah, but was that Nog? No, it was Og, but I, I mean, I still got the score. Right. 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 <laughs> so yeah, your, your like brain open is book so, or closed book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, your brain is so coupled with the greater information stored in whatever LMMs. In this case, well, the the only reason I think about. you'd want to know Og versus Nog in this case is in the case of a denial of service for your augmentation, right? I mean, right. Oh, absolutely. Well, maybe not the only, but that's one. Yeah. <clears throat> well, it's raw, raw intelligence that you're physically equipped with versus intelligence that's brought to you by what we've created as a whole as in humanity. Right. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's like <clears throat> if you're, if you're navigating the countryside and you've got this giant map on your dashboard and you're trying to read things like that's a different world than just following the instructions on Google maps. Or in the case that you're mentioning, the instructions just come to you in your mind as you ask for them. Exactly. Do I take a left next or a right? And then it, right. it appears in your mind more than anything else. Totally. And the step before that, like it'll just be in your glasses, your contact lens. Right. I really want that technology to, yeah. to hit mainstream. I'm, I was just saying to a friend this morning, how antiquated is the keyboard? When you really think about sitting there and using your fingers to press all these little tiny buttons to mm. interface with the machine, it's like, totally. how much longer are we going to have that? And, and how, this, how soon till we don't? In tool use, there's this notion of attenuating to the task versus attenuating to the, to the tool. And the reason we like to use keyboards is because we have a high bandwidth in it and we don't think much when we use it. Uh, it's incredibly frustrating for those who first start to use it. Mm-hmm. But I think... Those things that let us more transparently engage with the task are much better. And like, I'll take my brother as an example. Like he's, he's very linguistically gifted, but he's not a great writer. And so he has gravitated to a few tools that have given him the ability to become a a really good writer recently. 
Mm-hmm. And they've broken that barrier down. And now he's able to express himself in writing. I mean, he's always, he's always been a very well-spoken person and very good at, and very witty, but he's struggled sometimes with written grammar. And he's just found tools that have made all that transparent now. Um, Interesting. Don't want to out him here, but yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I've had the same thing happen to me with programming. I was kind of a crap programmer. Um, well, I still am. Hmm. A nog- I'm all spaghetti. I, yeah, yeah. I'm a non-crap yeah. crap programmer, but um, I have decent ideas about what I want to program, and I know what I want to program, mm-hmm. and I can articulate that well. So guess what? Now I'm a great programmer uh, because cause I have code here, and I have a GPT-4 over here. And uh, I can iterate and be like, hey, it just broke in the following way. Like, I know Python fairly well. Um, And now I'm standing up web interfaces. I built a mobile app. I wrote all my own APIs. My my own web interface calls my own APIs. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm doing, like, real developer stuff, which uh, I got no business doing. (laughs) That's awesome. Do you say you're you're a bad programmer as in... You just see what really, really, really great programmers that are extraordinary at math and can then translate that into code do. And you just feel like you're not as good as them. But in reality, compared to the average person, you're probably an excellent programmer. Uh, yeah, great question. So here's how I distinguish. Um, so I am lucky enough to have ideas that most programmers don't have. Um, and I can usually solve something in Bash or Python that um, didn't exist before. Like uh, I, I wrote a thing a long time ago that could tell if a web page had changed or not, hmm. which was super useful for a web application pen testing. Um, and everyone saw it and they're like, Oh, that's, that's amazing or whatever. And I get compliments and I feel good or whatever. But then I'm like, Hey, can you, um, can you help me like make this better? And when my developer friends come and look at it, they're like, um, okay. Yeah. Well, this is really nice, but um, can I just rewrite it? Because this is <laughs> this is kind of bad. Yeah. And they're trying to be nice. When right. they rewrite it, as a developer, they're like, here's the proper way to do things. Because, like, mine was Bash, and it was, like, mm-hmm. super short. And they're like, well, let's lay this out as, the, you know, this is an object, and we're going to call this. And I'm like, oh, that looks hard. Um, yeah, this is way better. Thank you. And so they just infinitely improve the thing that I had. Um, and now I can do that with GPT-4. I I have this argument with a, another friend who's like a CTO type. Um, and sometimes we go back and forth of what w- what is the better way to code? Because just because you can lay things out in a structure, in a format, sometimes we're actually adding complexity to it yeah. for mm-hmm. structure's sake that actually doesn't result way, in better, that, that is, better compute. That is leaky abstraction, by the way, but keep going. Yeah. Um, so I, I wonder if, I, again, you might not be giving yourself as much credit. I, I don't know. I haven't looked at your code. Maybe it is just total spaghetti, but maybe, uh, no, maybe there's more credit to, there, too. People have started to debunk uh, Dunning-Kruger, but at least the principle was that when you start to to be good at something, you realize just how much you don't know. So, oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And and so when, uh, my dad is an amazing programmer, good enough to know that I'm just at the beginning of the scale, right? He he He's truly deep at this stuff. He just took a course in quantum computing at 77 years old. And I'm like, wow. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. And by the way, MITRE has a very cheap $200 course in quantum computing because we don't have enough people that really have the base skills for when the capability really goes up, which is super cool. But yeah, it's an excellent question, by the way, Jacob. That was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Daniel, what has been 
the thing that's been like eating at your brain. So we, we talk about a little bit at the beginning here that if, if you read one. something, if there's one, yeah, yeah, if there's one, maybe there's 10, but what, what's been eating at your brain that hasn't made it out yet into publication? Or if you don't want to share it yet, cause you haven't, you don't want to put it out to the world before, but what, what's that current trend that's running through there? So there, there's one big idea that's, uh, that, that I keep talking about in different ways. That's, um, Honestly, I just think it's, it's it's about to permeate everything. It's the concept of context. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm writing a whole bunch of different software for for different purposes. It's like one's a health app. One is like how to manage a security program, but you could actually use it to manage like a, a county or a planet or a solar system or whatever you want to manage. Um, the idea is you define goals and you capture context about the entity and it, the entity surroundings. And then you plug that all into an all seeing system like an LLM. Mm-hmm. And then you have a series of questions that you ask against it. And the series, the series of questions makes up the program, makes up the management of it. Okay. Right. Um, and what you could do is you can incorporate different types of wisdom into those questions or into the actions that it recommends. So for example, if this is a human health app um, <clears throat> and I'm doing this for myself and I've done it for a couple of friends as well, I start by saying, okay, my mission in life is to raise eudaimonia for planet earth. Okay. That's my mission. Here's my other, you know, sub goals. I've got like five goals, one, two, three, four, five, two is infinitely less important than one. Three is infinitely less important than two, et cetera. Here are my challenges in life. Um, I actually capture like uh, little mini traumas from the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I capture what I think was trauma in the past or whatever. Um, I capture key events in my life, capture all these different things. Um, then I capture what I'm trying to achieve in terms of like metrics, metrics that actually matter to me, um, which may or may not be important. And then I tell the system, <clears throat> you are an all-knowing uh, therapist and life coach. Um, and tell me how I'm doing given the following activity. And then I'm scrolling in everything. So this is like, I just had a bite of cheese. And there's a little bit of future stuff because um, you need to be able to read from health kit. And there's a lot of data that we can't yet do. But mm-hmm. I'm already feeding it a little bit, snippets of data. Hmm. So what you could do is just be like, hey, I talked to my friend on the phone the other day. I spent some time with my parents or um, I've been on the couch for uh, three weeks watching reruns of whatever. Um, I haven't worked out. I've been eating like garbage. And then I say, why do I feel sad? Why do I feel non-energetic? And what it does is it reaches all the way in your past. It looks at all your current activity. It looks at all your goals. Goal number three is spend more time with, with family and friends, but you've been watching Star Trek The Next Generation for the last three weeks and you haven't done shit. Um, so what it'll respond with is, well, given your goals and what you said you wanted to accomplish, you've actually been working on goal number 13 and goal number seven for the last four months of your life. And by the way, you're, did you know uh, the anniversary of your dog dying was tomorrow? So every year around this time, by the way, just to remind you, you get unhappy like this. 
the solution is to talk to your friends. So <clears throat> this is the kind of deep, deep guidance that you can have when you have full context about a, a person. Okay. Interesting. This is huge. I mean, <clears throat> in some ways your subconscious does this, but it doesn't necessarily do it well as a person. No, it doesn't. It doesn't so do it well. You're finding like a backup or like a parallel subconscious that says, Hey, I'm here to either do a check and balance or, or to, to maybe, mm -hmm. and you, it might get into conflict with it, by the way. It might be like, no, 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 I'm telling you to do these things. And your brain is like, no, no, I want the endorphin right now and screw your, your, your policies. But this is super cool. So, so, so check this out. So in my case, um, my mom wasn't present like early in life. Um, and then I had a stepmom come in and my dad was kind of like an authoritarian and like, I missed a lot of socialization early on. Mm -hmm. And what I've been noticing, uh, recently is like, wait a minute. I bet you a lot of like my particular types of like weird personality things, some that's weaknesses, some that's tremendous strengths come from that. So guess what? I'm going to capture it all. And guess what happens if you send that to an LLM? It has access to the entire medical literature of human civilization. So it can basically map, oh, people who have this thing with uh, childhood attachment to mother and, you know, disassociation with adults or whatever or socialization early on, they tend to have this kind of drama. They tend to have this kind of drama. Oh, you also indicated that you have this kind of drama. That's because click, 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 click. They're seeing all of human psychology at the same time. Whereas when we think about this in our subconscious, we're only seeing the part that is kind of steered towards based on our emotion at that time. It's not a complete picture. And a better way to th think about this is watch what happens when I bring it over to business. So, so, um, so Julie's laptop connects at 2.45 a.m. to a file share <clears throat> um, in the middle of the night, and a Tier 1 analyst gets this alert. Is it malicious? Not enough context. Not enough context. So what this guy does, you know, he's whatever, 19, uh, took his hands course. This is his first job. He starts pinging around. Uh, I don't know. I guess I'll go to work day. I'll, I'll just click. But there's a text box here inside of the IR software. And he starts pasting in notes from random places that his random brain decided to go and pursue. Okay. Mm -hmm. So he's like, uh, I don't know. And then, okay, it's a file share. Let me click on the file share and see what it has. Uh, uh, I don't know. It doesn't look so bad. Um, no, I think this is fine. Action, do not block notes, see notes above. That That's the state of, of IR at this point. It's manual. It's like grabbing these straws. So the, the analog for this, for the, for the human thing that I just talked about is um, the LLM knows every box, every host, what data is on it, who connected to it and when. It knows that this is not malicious because um, Julie is actually in Japan is where she connected from. She said in Slack yesterday she was going to Japan. 
the manager said you're approved to go to Japan. The manager said you're approved to work at 2 a.m. And yeah, feel free to log in. Then she said later, hey, I'm logging in, blah, blah, blah. Uh, you're going to see me connect or whatever. So it's piecing together every single thing it knows from AWS, from Zoom uh, transcripts, from Slack messages, from every single thing in the business. It's pulling that all together. And this is the most important thing. It holds it all in its mind at the same time. So when you ask, is this malicious, it's pulling in terabytes of data and answering just like that. So now most software on the RSA floor, or actually most software period, is a hack and a workaround for the fact that it didn't have the context. Mm -hmm. 100%. Which means the LLM is software. It is the replacement for software. The with, with the huge dependency of you have to have the context, which is right. going to be hard to get, right? It's hard. It's going to be hard to build well, that multi-terabyte models. Yeah. I mean, well, we're going to have... Go ahead. One of the things for the, the human example, right, that's a prerequisite for that is ability to have insight and introspection of oneself. Yes. Which not every person is good at or wants True. to be good at, right? So True. you have to be willing to introspect yourself and then be willing to admit and share. And to things. grow. So, I mean, just just when you have a relationship with this, call it this LLM-based contextual model, mm. it then is going to interact with you as a personality, probably, um, unless we find a direct interface, so, which means you're going you're gonna to interact with it as you would with any other avatar, right. right? Which means you're going to have to be, what's my relationship with it? And do I trust it? Personally, forget forget the trust model for where the data goes and how it's processed, which is also a thing. Yeah. But you're going to have to then say, so for instance, I have similar to you, Daniel, when I read your article about how much trauma is the right amount of trauma, which we should talk about, mm -hmm. especially when you're raising children as, as I am, which is a, which is a fundamental question. Mm -hmm. um, but in those cases, you've got to ask yourself, um, how, how am I going to accept this feedback? How am I going to process it? And does this become another bad parent? I mean, like m my mother was, was abusive and an alcoholic, for instance, right? And by the way, I sat with a bunch of security folks who I consider really good at their craft and really amazing people. Mm -hmm. And we all started talking, we realized we all had extremely traumatic childhoods. Like, and, and like I mentioned on a previous podcast, a friend of mine said, I'm not surprised you wound up a cyber person. And I was like, that's an interesting thing to say. Yep. And, and I don't know what it's like in other professions, but when I read your last blog, I, it hit me enough that I messaged you about it. Yeah. And, and I'm saying, so does that avatar become another bad parent or do I actually listen to it? Yeah. Interesting. I, I wonder about that. Um, for the personal side, there are so many uses for this and the abuse cases. Oh my God, are nasty. Mm -hmm. It's so, the ability so to control people with that knowledge, right? Oh, I, I mean... To manipulate I'm, the way you feel and what gives someone big positive brother versus negative doesn't feedback. doesn't begin to describe it, you know? And, well, so yeah. we've all met these people who are like manipulators. Narcissists who, in particular. and all Narcissists, that. yeah. So you imagine someone like that, but they're powered by an LLM that knows everything about you. So it actually becomes an LLM agent... So rather than a companion, which that'll be the first app, mm -hmm. uh, I guess one, one of the first apps will be, let me talk to myself. But the second app is going to be like, I want to have a best friend who knows everything about me. 
Right. It's nineties oh. Neopets just on steroids and actually personal. I, I want an actually good dungeon they master. Know everything I'm just gonna, about you. I'm gonna put it yeah. out there. I want a good dungeon master, by the way. I'm sick of having to do that, that for all my friends. That is a huge one. That's like a really good one. Not the bullshit. Right. I'm sorry, not the bad one. <laughs> no, absolutely. So every single thing they say to you is like hinging on the fact that like you really like magic weapons. You really like, yeah. you know, whatever. Here's more armor. Oh please. Don't do that. Don't Monty Python. Right, don't right. uh Monty Hall me, right? Like yeah. Exactly. Um yeah, I, yeah. I really worry about the abuse piece. The, the other thing is, once you dump your soul into this thing, and it's just a text file, you could put mm -hmm. your. Uh, I mean, I have my entire soul in like a text file, and like my soul is this is is a bit string. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well. Well. If it leaks, like that, that's eternal urine in the eternal pool. It's not coming back out, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, then, then there's the question. So I, again, I don't know the source on this one. I'll have to find it, but uh, I think I read an article years ago that there's a higher degree of sociopathy and pathology generally among senior executives and CEOs. So do I want my company having access to that? Let alone my government. I mean, definitely not the government, but that's my yeah, opinion. More than now we're in a seditious podcast, but no, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. just joking. Yeah. I think there's quite a bit of, um, well, and here's another angle for this. What if, what if we were so knowledgeable about ourselves that I could put this text file out there and I could know that agents were abusing it and I would be resilient to it because that's how well I knew myself. Hmm. In other hmm. words, the tricks didn't work because I was hardened against them. Yeah. The ultimate goal of therapy where you've, exactly. you've learned yourself well, so well that you can I'm going to push flourish. back on that one and say, like, everything's got a vulnerability. So I think anything that's sufficiently large, if let's assume your soul, your soul text file isn't just, you know, 128 bits. Let's assume it's pretty large. My suspicion is it's sufficiently complex that you probably can't map it in the foreseeable future. Um, and that somebody who's sufficiently dedicated can exploit it, especially if they can test lost, lots of souls and find the soul penetrating machine. Yeah, um, I think it just for a human, it depends on state and mood. So, for example, mm -hmm. I could be in a really um, powerful mental state, having mm -hmm. worked through all my trauma. And then someone comes in, they're like, hey, did you know, blah, 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 compliments, flattery, doing the thing that the, the documentation says should work. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, hey, man, I see you. Nah, don't do that. But I have a bad week. And I'm tired and I haven't been working out and I'm like mentally crushed. Well, now all those tactics will do work. Mm. Or you could be put into a situation. Exactly. Then you apply situation. pressure that takes yeah, you out yeah. of your strong situation. And now all the tactics work. Mm. Yeah. And how realistic is it to think that everyone's going to be optimizing in their perfectly no. strong, you know. Actually, you probably wouldn't want to. I mean, this is, this is the, yeah, the sometimes the downs are what make the, the ups worthwhile. I don't want to get too deep into that, no, it's but true. No, it's like ideally true. we would be vulnerable with each other and have real conversations and we would be vulnerable to that sort of manipulation. Like with your friends, for example, you would mm. be, you wouldn't just walk around like rigid and defending all the time. That wouldn't be great. Well, I think more vulnerabilities needed in humankind in general. You see the yep. strongest relationships come out of vulnerability over. So this is the thing I'm trying with presentations barriers. now, by the way, um, when I'm asked to present, I asked to present about failures instead of mm. 
um, successes because uh, I, I'm very leery of cults of personality, including my own. Yep. Um, that we're going to establish this narrative of look at how freaking awesome I am. Yep. So I did a presentation yesterday live and I started with, here's the worst failure that I know of in my career. I only mm -hmm. lasted eight months. Uh, Microsoft asked me to present to product management. And I said, let me, let me present what I think are the four biggest mistakes I made when I was a product manager. The rest of, because that's actually more interesting. And, yeah. and it what sort I of says, like, let's not do the heroism thing, right? People want to interact more with human beings than they do with avatars, the other sense of avatar, right? The deity kind. Well, yeah. I started this podcast and I started getting feedback and I talked to people like, why, why are you drawn to certain content? What makes you stay for content? Like, what, what do you actually care about when you're hearing other humans speak? And someone said exactly that. Like, well, there's this one podcast I listen to and uh, it's with executives and they interview very specific executives in business, but they go through their resume and they talk about not the times they became the CEO of something, but the time they got fired. Mm -hmm. They talk about the times they were at their lowest versus the times that they're the strongest. I really like that podcast. And I think it humanizes it for people. Hmm. Everyone yeah. has failure. And if you hear that other people have failure, especially people you look up to, you're like, that person's more like me than I thought. Yeah, this is something that's really given me a superpower over the, like the last, I, I would say, 10 years maybe, um, is uh, biographies. I, I've been reading a lot of biographies of really great people. Interesting. And really great people judged by their contributions seen decades or hundreds of years later, right? Then you read the biography, um, and it's like, holy crap. So one I'm thinking of was this philosopher. It might have been Hume. I can't remember if it was Hume mm. or Spinoza. It might have been Spinoza. So... Uh, whatever, it's like year seven, and, and he's like in a cabin with a quill. It's like dark. Uh, I don't know. Everything's dying around him. I just assume in the year seven. So he's over here writing. He writes hundreds of pages for this, this massive book that he, he's writing. It takes him years. He has no friends. Life sucks. He's depressed as hell. He finally works up the money somehow to go all the way to France. He goes in like these salons and everyone's all foo-foo-y and they're like all famous already. And like he plops it down on the table or whatever they do. The The whole community looks at it and they're like, well, I, I just want you to know that you should definitely work on something else because this is absolute and total garbage and never show your face here again. His life is ruined. <clears throat> he goes back, goes back to the cabin does it again for multiple years, goes back, the same thing happens. Okay. Then he goes back, basically decides to give up, throws the uh, another version in the fireplace. A friend rescues it from the fireplace, takes it to a, a different friend. It blows up. It's one of the biggest piece, uh, philosophical pieces ever. And I'm like, that's what success looks like. Randomness, chance, mm -hmm. failure, mm -hmm. right? And then I see multiple um, great people who go through this. It's not like they, they wake up and they're like, parents are like, hey, did you know you're great? And they're like, yes, I am. And then they, they produce great things and people say, hey, this is great. No, half of it is like being told you're garbage, actually being garbage, <laughs> 
right? Not just being told, but actually producing a whole lot of crap. And then um, struggling and, and striving and pushing through that and then getting super lucky on top yeah. of it. Yeah. And it's like, wait, if you see the world that way, then and you get hit with challenges, it makes you feel like this is not evidence that I'm garbage. This is evidence that I'm just like everyone else and that the solution is pushing through and seeing what happens. So I had this this teacher. So um, I, I, I've done three post-secondary areas of study. One was uh, English and philosophy. One was physics and linguistics. And one was counterterrorism. So aside from cyber, those were my three study areas. And the first was English and philosophy. And I had this teacher named Bill Coughlin. That's like 30 years ago. And he had two messages for us. He was an English teacher. He said, number one, I don't care what you have to say. I care that you say it clearly. Mm. Just get it out there. Mm. Get it out there cogently, clearly, tightly. And he, he separated the rules of grammar, which he said we all we all we were all bastardized with. He said he took two classes. This is a college course. And he said, This is how you do it. Don't, don't, don't mess it up. He was actually he swore a lot more, right? Um mm. And he said, and these, are the, these are the principles of rhetoric. Use smaller words, shorter sentences, right? And, and, he, and he said, you know, try, get it across fast. Get it hard through. Now, the mm-hmm. second point is super important. He said, in a democracy, expository writing is critical. Ex- exposition mm-hmm. is critical. Not so you can be brilliant, mm-hmm. so that you can be attacked and taken down. That's the point. Mm. He said, you're going to put it out there. Really and like if you're that. putting it out there for your ego, go home, go yep. home. He said, all the interesting things happened in dialogues and papers and committees of correspondence. And if you, I'm actually reading the Sam Adams biography right now. I just started it. Oh, nice. And, and, and so we have like the internet and, and messaging and believe it or not, committees of correspondence were like that during the revolutionary war. It, this was like, this was like instant messaging at the time. Right. And, and it was inflammatory and the Sam Adams was like everywhere. And yet almost nobody knows popularly anything about him except the beer. And he never went by Sam, he went by Samuel. So I should be saying Samuel Adams. Right. But he said all the interesting things like the federal federalist papers and things like that, there were dialogues where people were getting things wrong. Yeah. And he said, so, so like principle one, get it out there. Principle two, expect it to be attacked and it should be. It, that's the point. If everybody just put stuff out and everybody went, oh, that's great, and started worshiping it, then that's not a good foundation for democracy. It's not a good foundation for a republic. I like that. It reminds me of uh, make things falsifiable. Mm. Right? It's the same principle with, with logic yeah. as, as you, because it's a living, breathing thing, a nation. It's, it's like putting stepstones inside of construction materials so that people can climb. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And, and he used to go purple in the face as he would yell this at us, right? And one of, one of the classes was on young adult lit. He's like, I don't care what your opinion is on young adult lit. He goes, I care that you come across and say it. And I can tell you you're wrong and why. And great, you'll get an A if you do that. And he was right. right? Yeah. Interesting. <clears throat> yeah. yeah, one of my uh, most favorite things right now is um, the, uh, the winner for Parasite, the Oscar, uh, a few years back. Uh, mm-hmm. They asked him, like, how did you come up with this creativity thing? And he's like, um, Scorsese told me that the most personal is the most creative. Hmm. Um, so basically, if you just 
articulate the thing that's compelling you and you articulate it well. It's um, magnetic. Yeah. It does. It, yeah, it is magnetic. It doesn't matter if you think it's good or not. What matters is it will be the clearest signal you can imagine. Hmm. And anyone who hears it, who happens to be vibrating at that same frequency will in, instantly resonate. I love that. And, and then if you are, if you uh, sort of contrive, try to make something that looks like that, it will not vibrate like that. It'll be like empty. And I've had this happen to me like hundreds of times where I, I have a halfway decent idea, but I over-engineer it. I spend mm. a couple of days writing a post and I'm just like, this is going to be so amazing. People are going to love this. Crickets. Right. But I'm on the toilet with a random idea and I'm like, Hey, isn't it weird that this happens? Boom. Resonance. Why? Cause it was authentic. It's really uniquely you, right? Yeah. The other thing Daniel, a- is that you capture it, which I, yeah. which I think you've gotten into the habit of doing. And so much of this is ephemeral. If you yes. didn't capture it over time, that avatar wouldn't be replayable like that. Right. Right. The evolution of it. Yep. Yeah. That's the other advantage of having like this sort of avatar is I could use it to train the model. Um, hmm. But I could use it to sort of answer questions about myself later. Um, when I say later, I mean like as soon as possible. <laughs> Everybody who's listening yeah, we'll in, in ten point. minutes. Everybody who's listening at some point in the future, we will put links what down here, right, Jacob? Or oh, it's down, right? What what links am I putting down? Then show. We're notes? gonna we're gonna put like unsupervised. Are we all pointing down below? Yeah, everyone. <laughs> yeah, sorry, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think. Uh, so we're we're coming towards the end of how long we record for. Daniel. So we usually do about an hour of content. Um, one of the things that uh, Sam had actually pointed out from, I think it was your, your personal biography or your about me section is that you say someday you want to do art and music. So like, mm-hmm. this is what you're doing Painting, right I now. I think was one of it too. Yeah. Um, and I, I, on another discussion we were having, I, I talk about the eclectic nature of my hobbies. Um, and that sometimes I say I collect hobbies more than I uh, necessarily yeah. do hobbies, but art is one of them. And I love, love art. I love painting. I love, um, just in, in general interacting with it. And it, one of the most important lessons I had in my life was by accidentally supporting a friend and taking an art class. Cause they need one more person to get this art class oh, wow. off the ground. Um, so, you know, you have to have a certain class size in college to have a class. Um, sure. and so they needed that one more person. My friend's like, please just take it with me. I, I need, I want this class. You were the plus me. one, literally the plus I was one. literally the plus one. <laughs> I was like, yeah, whatever. It's like, I need some credits for that. I need to do this. I took it. And I just learned so many lessons about life that I apply both personally and professionally by taking a portraiture class accidentally. Um, and have continued doing some art. I'm not an artist, but I do art, right? It's the same mm-hmm. thing I say like about music. I do music. I'm not a musician, yeah. but I'd love to hear your, what, what draws you to those two things like art and music. And so many people we talk to when we get down to like what personally drives you outside of your cybersecurity, outside your technology work, they say music and they talk about their life with their music and how they interact with the world through music. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about why you say that. Music especially, there's resonance to it inherently, but I'm not going to put words in your mouth. You singled those words out. What is it about those? Uh, for music? Music and, and I think you said yeah. painting or art. Yeah. 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 So I don't know. I, 
I don't know where I am with art. I, I do know I would like to write. I would like to write stories. I would like to paint, but I feel like it's so such a distant understanding for me. I, mm. It's almost like a world I don't get. Um, I would like to push into it at some point, but I know I definitely would like to write fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, me too, by the way. We should do a collaboration at some point. Yeah, yeah. That, that would be really fun. Um, I'm your first because it's super scary and hard. Um, for music, I I know exactly what I want to do. I, I want to create certain feelings. That's what I want to do with music. It's create certain types of feelings. Um, and I, like I, I I'm super into uh, a particular type of music. I, I like extreme metal and I like EDM. That's uh, so funny. I'm an EDM person. My girlfriend is extreme metal. So like I, I, I get exposed I to both. Both to get into the other because yeah. they're so similar. Yeah. Um, but uh, so when you're the EDM person, I'm the EDM person. Yeah. Okay. So um, I've got this uh, this concept album that I that I want to do. It's called yeah. the Universal Arc. Um. Yeah. Actually, I'm I'm going to pull it up real quick. Um. But while you pull it up, you just made me think when I was once asked what my superpower would be if I wanted it, I thought of um, Asimov's Foundation series in The Mule, who had the ability to set emotions. In oh, really? And that was the one I wanted, which is what oh, you man, just said. Oh, man, I need to was, read that again. Yeah. Ooh, I hope I didn't just ruin it. Like, spoiler alert for people, Asimov. But no, but when you said music, you can, you sort of almost, you didn't say broadcast, but like you could set emotions or cause emotions. I also wonder if that's not partly a remnant of trauma's past, but yeah. Um, feel free to bring up whatever it is you're looking up with EDM. It was EDM, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So uh, not exact data match, the music type. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exact data match. So, so it's called the universal arc. So the album um, it's about the life journey of a universe. So the songs are primordial. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, by the way, I don't know if you've ever heard of this uh, band called the ocean. It doesn't ring a bell. Yeah, I have heard of it. I don't. I'm going to bring it up now. So you you should check out the ocean. It's it's incredible. Um, But anyway, the first song is called Primordial. It's ambient. Um, So it's like just kind of this is like amino acids are combining, right? Yeah. In in like the ocean. Okay. Animal is uh, drum and bass. Dawn Mm -hmm. of the intellect. Ambient minimal house. Self destruction. Hardcore. Hard style. Post human. Deep house, minimal, and trance, and then a new home. So, like, we leave the solar system or we leave the universe or whatever, minimal, ambient, and then um, entropy escape, which is, like, the whole new world is, like, ambient, minimal, and house. So, the idea is that we will have, like, the journey. This is your idea for how you would structure the album, what type of genres you want to put, and why it's this arc and journey through it. That's really cool. I like that a lot. Yeah, exactly. That's By the way, you, you also just made me think of a book I read. My father gave me um, over the holidays called Before the Big Bang um, hmm. by, let's see if I can find who it was by. It was by Laura Mercini Houghton, who um, is a cosmologist. Very readable, and I highly recommend it for your next food for thought, by the way, Daniel. Hmm. So how did you said metal and electronic? How did you get into the, the genres, like what was drawn towards you say, it, I think they both do have high emotional resonance for people that are into those genres. Yeah. And I imagine that's what you mean when you say this huge crossover, but how'd you get into it? Um, I got into 
so my first music was like dance music, uh, like very early. This is like mid eighties. Um, a disco that's then. like, uh, that's like breakdancing music. So it's not quite, mm. it's after disco. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, disco. I, yeah. He I, said I, disco. I was, I was like, no, it's a little bit later than that. Jacob, but yeah. It yeah. was disco in the eighties. It's disco now. Mm. It always lives on. <laughs> uh, disco, disco forever. Is what you're saying. All right, I, can, I can buy that. Um, <laughs> But anyway, I was into that and that kind of like phased out and I went right into metal then. So like late eighties. Um, yep. so right when metal was, that's when we were all doing it. Yeah. When, yeah. It was, when it was getting big and I never liked sort of lighter metal and I still don't like, I never liked warrant or poison or any of that stuff or hair. Um, I like really heavy stuff. So mm-hmm. Jacob, do you know abysmal dawn? Uh, the name sounds familiar, but I can't like place like a sound. So, in my head. It's just fantastic. So what, to answer your question, what I like about metal is um, I feel positive. I feel optimistic and positive when I listen to metal. Mm-hmm. It's a hype. It's hype music. Okay. EDM yeah. to me is the same. When I hear EDM, I think there's a world of possibility and like it's helping me better myself. That's the way I think about EDM. Cool. I could go on and on about the genre, especially how, like you said, that conceptual album idea, like arcs through the genres. I could go on and on about it, but yeah. um, maybe, maybe for another discussion. Uh, well, I suspect that the triggers time. might be different, but the, that aesthetic resonance is probably the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, There's something fun when you share it, by the way, but yeah, go ahead, Jacob. I was going to say the last thing that comes to mind, and maybe we don't have full time for it, Daniel, is what, what should have we asked you that we didn't ask you? Oh, um, I don't know. Like, like you said, there's a million things to talk about. Um, I, I, th- I feel like we could go off into AI stuff, but I, I don't know of any particular question. I, I think we covered quite a bit today. That. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. AI stuff would be interesting. Well, Sam, anything else on, on your side? No, I you? just want to say thank you for coming on. I, I was super looking forward to it. I, I love, I love the glimpse into your brain that I get at least once a week, if not more often. And, um, and thanks. I appreciate it. Hey, thanks yeah. for having me.